Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Thursday, December 10th, and this is your FT News Briefing. Last night's dinner between Boris Johnson and Ursula von der Leyen did little to move the Brexit needle. The U.S. hit Facebook with two antitrust lawsuits, and DoorDash had a memorable first day on the public market. Plus, Disney is going all in when it comes to streaming. But is it enough to support other hard-hit parts of the business? I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson and the President of the European Commission, Ursula von der Leyen, dined on scallops in turbot last night in Brussels. Could the menu have been a nod to the fishing rights issue that's still dividing Brexit talks? We're not sure. Now, Johnson and von der Leyen came away from the dinner agreeing on very little, but they did set an important deadline. The FD's political editor, George Parker, is on the line with me now. George, what were the big takeaways from the talks? Well, I think the first thing to say is the meeting didn't go well. Um, I was just speaking to one of um, Prime Minister Johnson's allies who said there wasn't really much of a glimmer of progress at these talks. So any hope of a major breakthrough at this dinner, which lasted in total three hours, didn't materialise. But both sides have agreed that the talking can continue. So that's at least one moment, one bit of hope, I suppose, for a deal that the negotiators are still talking. And they basically said that they want to, by Sunday, have reached a firm decision on the future of the talks. So I think some people are interpreting that as being the firm, firm deadline. We've had quite a few deadlines which have moved, or maybe the deadline for a decision on whether to continue with the talks. But certainly, time's running out and Sunday feels like quite a big moment. Now, George, is there a way for the two sides to continue the talks after the transition period ends on December 31st? Well, if they want to continue the talks, they really have to come to some sort of provisional agreement, at least before December the 31st. If they don't do that, then eventually Britain will end up trading with the EU um, in the same way that um, countries on the other side of the world, like Australia, do on World Trade Organization terms with tariffs and quotas and all sorts of other disruptions around trade. So it's very important for at least an agreement to be inked in principle if they are to carry on. But really, a deadline, I think, for the end of the year is what we should be looking at. George Parker is the FT's political editor. Thank you, George. Pleasure. Facebook was hit with two lawsuits yesterday, one from the U.S. Federal Trade Commission and another from a group of 46 states. Both accused Facebook of abusing its monopoly power. The FTC suit pointed to Facebook snapping up would-be competitors' Instagram in 2012 and WhatsApp in 2014. The FTC described the moves as a way to neutralize competition. The suit from the 46 states described Facebook's actions as a buy-or-bury approach towards its rivals. The attorneys general said the company's actions deprived users from the benefits of competition, noting reduced privacy protections and services. Facebook has denied anti-competitive practices for a long time. The company said it would review the recent complaints and provide further updates shortly. And DoorDash had a stellar first day on the public market. Shares in the food delivery service closed at $189 a share on Wednesday. That's nearly 86% higher than the IPO price. And it gave the company a market value that was close to $60 billion. So who were the other winners? SoftBank's Vision Fund and Sequoia together own more than 40% of the company's Class A common stock. DoorDash's performance is a sign that investors haven't lost their appetite for fast-growing tech stocks, which is a good sign for Airbnb. 
The home renting business debuts on the NASDAQ exchange today. It priced its IPO at $68 a share. The Walt Disney Company was founded in 1923, so it's nearly 100 years old. And in that time, the business has evolved from filmmaking and theme parks to television and broadcasting, and now to streaming. But the pandemic has knocked billions of dollars from its operating profit. Now the company faces some important strategic decisions with less money to pad its mistakes. Surely, all this will come up today at the company's Investor Day. Alex Barker is our global media editor, and he's on the line with me now to discuss how the company's past is weighing on its future. Alex, how much of the business do Disney's film studios and theme parks represent today? Well, there's something special about the Disney business model uh, since it was founded, and it's the kind of breadth of the business and how each part feeds off the other. At the core of it is some extraordinary intellectual property and Star Wars and Marvel and all the many movies that Disney has made over the years. And out of those, you can spin theme park rides and action figures and box office receipts. And it all works terrifically well through normal periods. It works terrifically badly during a pandemic because the cinemas are shut, the rides are closed, and you saw two big pillars of the Disney business just crumble. And at the moment, theme parks in particular have an outsized share of operating profits, and that disappeared. Cinemas and movies are smaller, but it's still a significant part of business that has really withered through this period. And we've seen the consequences come in many forms. But I do want to talk about the company's streaming platform, Disney+. Plus. Its numbers have shot up to 70 million subscribers since it launched a year ago. And a huge part of that is the pandemic. People are stuck at home because of the pandemic, right? That's true. You know, Disney Plus launched, I mean, almost in sync with the pandemic. And although it probably accelerated the take up, I think even before the pandemic hit, there was a lot of confidence in Disney being able to really reach a very broad audience. They also had a great hit in uh, The Mandalorian. And although they don't have the volume of shows on Disney+, Plus, they have a lot of quality and it attracted a lot of subscribers and they have really completely broken through all the expectations there were for how well they do. I mean, Reed Hastings of Netflix said, you know, they'd pick up 20 million subscribers at best and they're up at 70. Yeah, I mean, it's truly ubiquitous. I don't have a Disney Plus subscription, but I still know what The Mandalorian is and who Baby Yoda is, right? Like, it really kind of has transcended throughout culture. But how profitable is it compared to Disney's older investments in TV and broadcasting? Well, it's not profitable. I mean, it's, it's loss-making at the moment. This is a huge bet in two ways. I mean, one is, you know, the kind of capital investment you have to put in to build up a direct-to-consumer product like this, but also what it tears up of the past, you know, billions in licensing revenues that Disney would have picked up from selling shows overseas while the distributors into their channels all dried up, they pulled it back. And so at the moment, Disney Plus is the thing that's really helped that stock price stay stable. I mean, it's actually gone up if you look across the whole year because the market sees it as the future and as a great platform for growth. But in financial terms at the moment, they're losing money from Disney+. Plus. So Alex, going back to today's Investor Day, what are you keeping an eye on? 
I mean, streaming is the, the big show and, and the investor day will be a big moment because uh, for the market, even though you look at the financials of this business and you think, God, you know, you should probably be careful with the networks and the, and the cable TV and things like that because that's actually bringing in money at the moment. The market wants to see them really double down on the streaming service and save money in some areas and reallocate it to that. And I think that might be part of what we see uh, at the Investor Day today. And also on the content side, how they're going to manage this pipeline of movies that's supposed to be going through next year. Will they use theatres to d- distribute them? Will they look for to bring them onto streaming, you know, as kind of premium to buy or, you know, some other hybrid model? And the backdrop is that, you know, Warner Media took a massive bet by pulling all of their movies, the whole slate for next year to HBO Max to really kind of charge up that streaming service. And, uh, you know, we'll see Disney's response. Alex Barker is our global media editor. Thank you, Alex. Thank you. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Hi, this is Matt. And Sean. From Two Black Guys. With good credit. From a local business to a global corporation. Partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash banking for business to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024.